Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. There's a lot of ways we talk about Jesus. Uh, we talk about him as our redeemer, the one who has purchased our freedom from sin, who has bought us out of the slavery uh, and bondage that we had to death and to the fear of death. He is our redeemer. He's our savior. Uh, he is the one who has delivered us uh, from uh, death and, uh, and the, um, the, um, just the, the guilt that, that was upon us. So he is our savior. He is king of kings. He is Lord of Lords. All these titles that we use for Jesus, uh, one that we don't use often enough is just to understand that he is the groom and we are the bride. That Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. In the um, uh, uh, custom of the first century, uh, when a man and a woman uh, were to get married, uh, first, they came together. They were betrothed. There was an official uh, agreement. They were engaged. Uh, that could last for about a year or so. Uh, and then as uh, that year went on, uh, the bride-to-be um, prepared herself for the coming of the groom, prepared herself for that time when um, they, they would uh, come together and be married. And so she would be um, preparing, and then the day would come when the groom with all of his friends would come and uh, kidnap her. No, that was Italy. Uh, she, would, she would come, he would come with his friends and they would take the, the bride with her attendants and they would just have this grand and glorious procession back to the house where there would be the actual wedding ceremony and that was followed by a feast that would go on for days. That's what uh, we read about in John chapter 2 where Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. That was a wedding feast going on, celebrating the feast. And so in the scriptures, uh, it, it, we find that this imagery of Christ coming for his bride to take her to the wedding feast uh, is used to highlight our need to be preparing, but also our certainty that he is the groom who is coming for the bride. And that's why I don't think it's, it's terribly surprising that Paul used the marriage analogy when he wanted to talk about the role of the law in the economy of God's righteousness and all those other theological sort of constructs. Um, but he, he used that image of marriage because ultimately being a Christian, if you want to think about it this way, being a Christian means you met Jesus and you fell head over heels in love with him. And then by his grace, he brought you in and as his bride... We are the bride of Christ. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. I, I want you to look especially at uh, verse 4 in Romans 7. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. This is the purpose of our salvation, so that we would belong to Jesus Christ and have that relationship of love and, um, and um, a connection with him because we are now bound to him. We belong to another. Now, Jesus talked about this. He used the same imagery to talk about what God was doing in him. I want for us to turn back. This is in Matthew chapter 22. And uh, what we've done is we've used Romans as a springboard to talk about Matthew chapter 22. So um, uh, don't worry if we never get back to Romans. I know it's there. We'll be there next week. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, Jesus tells this parable. 
And he says this, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The first thing you've got to notice is the feast is to honor the son. The reason God invites us into the glory of his heaven is so that we can honor and adore and glorify and worship the son upon the throne. See, it's all about, believe it or not, it's all about Jesus. We sort of miss that point. We get the idea that somehow the whole gospel is about me and what I'm feeling and what's going on in my life, and Jesus is there as a helpful sort of a Mr. Fix-It, and if I have problems, then Jesus might be available and and helpful to me. But, uh, But other than that, I'm pretty much living for my own happiness and fulfillment and those kinds of things, and that results in a self-help sermon, be the best person you can be, my life goes better with Jesus, that and a Coke. So, you know, that's sort of the way um, that, that trends. But in point of fact, it's about Jesus. It's about his glory and his honor. It's about the fact that he is the son of God. And so the king gives this wedding feast, and it's for the son. It's so that the son would be honored. And he sent, the king sends messengers, servants, to call those who are invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. They had better things to do. Again, he sent out servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. God has done everything to provide for us. Now, you know, sometimes you'll have a, have a party and it'll be potluck. Nobody remembers potluck. Anybody? Okay, potluck. It'll be potluck. Uh, Debbie and I used to do this with, uh, with a couple of families in the church. After Christmas, we'd get all our leftovers, and, we, and uh, everybody would bring their leftovers in. And it, then it got to the point where when you were cooking Christmas food, you were preparing the leftovers so you could really wow the other people. <laughs> but anyway, but it was potluck. You know, when you showed up, you were expected to have something in hand. When we are invited to the wedding feast of the sun, we don't have to bring potluck. There's nobody at the door saying, no lima beans. You, you didn't bring your lima beans. You can't get in. Some of you are glad for that. But the, 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 the point is the father, the king, has supplied everything. He has done everything that is needed for this feast. So he says, come to the wedding, which is an amazing thing. I mean, what weddings do you get invited to? You get invited to weddings where you have a connection with somebody. You know? um, I, I couldn't make it, but I was invited to the royal weddings. <laughs> no, I have no connection with those folks. By the way, I didn't invite them to mine either. <laughs> now, verse 5, but they paid no attention. They went off. One to his farm and another to his business. We start making excuses and reasons why we don't want to have fellowship with the Son and the Father around the table that, that God has prepared. I mean, we've got all kinds of reasons for that. I'm busy. I'm busy. And whatever we, we highlight as being busy, we think is more important than what God has for us. Since one went to his farm, what's he going to do? He's going to go out there and till the dirt. He says to the king, King, I would rather play in dirt than come to your wedding. I mean, try that sometime. 
I mean, one of my favorite excuses for not coming to church, I was talking to somebody, you know, really like to see in the old churchyard there on Sunday. Oh, pastor, I'd love to be there, but I can't make it. Oh, oh, really? What's going on? I thought, you know, some family crisis. He said, no, that's the only time. Sunday morning is the only time my bowling league can get alleys. And I thought, try that on God when you get to heaven, you know. <laughs> but they started making all kinds of excuses, and there's no excuse you can give to a king that says, you know, king, you're not as important as something else. But one went to his farm, another went to his business, but then there was some other folks there, and uh, the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The angry, uh, the, the angry, the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Okay. Now, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. By the way, at this point, if I'm the king, I quit. You do too, admit it. If I'm the king, I prepared everything. I've got this food. It's all laid out. Nobody wants to come. You know what I'm doing? I'm going and sit in a corner and I'm going to sulk. That's, that's, that's my response. God, fortunately, is very gracious. The king said the wedding feast is ready. Those invited aren't worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Just invite everybody. This is an extravagant invitation that the king gives to the wedding feast. Those servants went out to the roads, gathered all they found, both bad and good. Remember here the, the parable of the wheat and the tear, you know, how the, the, the good wheat and the bad weeds all in the same field and they're not separated until the, uh, until the coming of the master. Uh, this sort of the same thing going on here. But anyway, they invited everybody in. And the house, the wedding hall, was filled with guests. But when the, and this is where I've been heading. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. You see, now, we, the, the policy here is you want to know the dress code is, yes. Okay? You want to know, what do I, what do I wear to church? Yes. Do, do wear something. That, that, that's, that's the rule. You know, but the come as you are. Yeah, we all want to come as you are. Well, sort of. Yeah, I mean, stop and wash your face and brush your teeth, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, th that kind of thing. And, and wear your, your coveralls. That, that's fine. Just wear the best you have or, or something like that. You know, but what happens is the king comes in and he looks at the guests and there's some guy there and he is disdaining the invitation. He's at the table, he's eating the food, but he hasn't even bothered to make the least bit of effort to be appreciative in his dress. He is not dressed appropriate for that king's invitation. All right? that's, that's what's going on. And the king says, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the, this, this guest, we're pretty sure, was a teenager. No, no, no. It's not because he's not dressed. Right. No. We're pretty sure he's a teenager because he didn't say anything. How did you get in there? <laughs> Look me in the eye. Tell me, how did you get in here? You know, King, that, that ceiling is much more interesting than you. You know that. Okay. You know they're all gone on mission trips so I can say these things. <laughs> all right. It's, it's not true. The guy's speechless, and the king says, throw him out. Tie him up so he doesn't even try to get back in, then throw him out. Now, here's what bothers me about the parable. If I have to wear a wedding garment that is worthy of the king and his son, 
I don't have that in my wardrobe. I don't have anything I can wear that is worthy of the king. If I show up, I'm, I'm showing up in, in what is, frankly, filthy rags compared to the righteousness of the son. So here's this wedding feast going on, and we're invited to come, but evidently the king expects us to come with some decent wedding garments on. And how are we going to manage? Look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, I'll start reading at verse 1, but... I'm interested, like, verse 8 or 9 or something like that. But, but uh, chapter 19 in the book of Revelation comes right after chapter 18. And in chapter 18, there is the judgment of God poured out upon the harlot city, the prostitute city that has been persecuting the people of God. Uh, and in various levels, economic and political and, so, and social, um, the, the, uh, the harlot city is destroyed, just pow, 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 just taken down in one hour. Is taken down. And uh, uh, after that, after God's judgment has come upon sin and upon rebellion on the earth, then John says, this is 19, verse 1, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, and they are saying this, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, and he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her, her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the living creatures fell down, worshiped God, seated on the throne, and they said, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent. Omnipotent reigneth. That's the way Handel wrote it. That's the, that's the way we're saying it. I mean, this is a hallelujah chorus. We're going to be singing the hallelujah chorus in heaven. And here's the miracle of it all. We're going to be on key. I mean, this, this is going to be great stuff when we worship. Hallelujah. The Lord God, the Almighty, he reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. How? It was granted to her to clothe herself. The word granted, I don't know why they use granted. It's, it's the King James translation too. It's the, word, it's the Greek word didomi. It just means give. It was given to her. The clothes were given to her. That's what it means. The bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself with linen, bright and pure, with the wedding garments, worthy of the sun. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of his saints. The righteousness of the saints is given to them. And this is what we need to understand about sanctification. It is given to us. We don't earn it. It is given to us. It expresses itself in our lives, but it is given to us. 
And so that day is coming when we will um, respond to that invitation, and there will be the wedding feast of the Lamb. And it won't go on two or three days. It'll go on for eternity. And we will be clothed in the righteousness given to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about all throughout uh, this section of Romans that we've been reading, that the righteousness of Jesus is given to us, and we live that out, and that's called sanctification, the process of being made holy and set apart for God. But it's given to us. It was granted to her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. Verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we're going to come to another kind of feast in just a moment. We're coming to the Lord's table. And this table is about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But this morning, I'd like to invite you to think about it as a preview of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because this table is all about Jesus. This table is all about his glory. This table is about coming with joy and responding to the grace of God that invites us into our fellowship with Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. This table points us to that marriage feast that is coming of the Lamb and his bride. And for the past um, several months, I've been trying to give you a challenge every week, and it's a challenge to do something during the week in response to what we've read in the Scriptures. I'm going to give you a challenge this morning, but it won't take a week. It'll take place in the next few minutes because I would like to challenge you to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb and come with the knowledge that the wedding garments are being supplied and they're being given to you by the grace of our Father, to come to this table and just rejoice that he is the groom and we get to be the bride, the bride of the Lamb. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, how thankful we are that you have done it all. You, you've supplied every need. You've made every provision. Father, in coming to you, we don't add in any way, we don't improve, we don't reshape, but, Father, we simply receive the gift of grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I ask that in these next few moments, as first we sing and then as we come to the table, that our hearts would be given entirely and completely to Christ, that he would work in us and through us, and, Father, that at the end of it all, Jesus would be seen in us, just high, lifted up, and exalted, so all the world would know that we are in desperate love with Jesus. Father, I thank you for that, and I thank you in Jesus' name.